If you have the ability to go to a live event too, that's even better because meeting someone else who was in your spot two years ago that's successfully investing um, is, is often you know the most confidence inspiring thing you can you could have. You're listening to Alternative Investor Mastermind, where we do a deep dive on alternative investment opportunities and the lifestyle it can create. Join Jack Krupe as he presents actionable tips and tricks in doing passive real estate away from mainstream strategies. Go beyond the usual fix and flips and try less explored yet rewarding investing ventures from multifamily properties, mobile homes to cryptocurrencies. Do not miss this opportunity to escape traditional assets and finally create wealth without Wall Street. Now your host, Jack. All right, everybody. Welcome to a live stream of what will be a uh, podcast for the Alternative Investor Mastermind. Uh, I'm your host, Jack Krupe, and uh, have uh, Zach Garizia with me as well. So, Zach, thanks yeah. for uh, coming on and doing this. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. We've uh, been talking about doing this for a while. So it's about time we did one. Yeah. So uh, today the topic is really about your your first year as a uh, passive uh, investor. So uh, gonna start by just kind of recapping uh, you know, my, my story, um, you know, for those that may not know. And uh, you know, I actually got into real estate in 2001 and that was certainly not passive. I was buying single family houses, I was flipping, I was wholesaling, I was doing uh, all the traditional kind of beginner uh, real estate uh, deals. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a grind. I created myself a job. It was a great learning experience though. And then you know, I migrated into the, the mortgage side of the business, buying non-performing loans. Again, that was very active business. It took a, a ton of my time and it was a, it was a crazy run. But, uh, over that time, you know, especially after the, the learning experience of doing all that by myself, I, you know, was looking for other passive opportunities. So, uh, what we're going to focus on today is um, is kind of talking through, um, you know, the mindset and, and how it happened. And uh, and, and Zach, I, Zach's going to do uh, kind of a you know somewhat of an interview format, but this is going to be a conversation. So, um, yeah, I got plenty Zach, of questions for you, Jack. Yeah, yeah, great. So, uh, yeah, so I'll turn it over, uh, turn it over to you, and uh, you know, you can uh, kind of ask away, and then hopefully, uh, mm -hmm. if if you're if you're in the chat, feel free to. Uh, um, you know, post, uh, post questions, uh, in the chat and, uh, certainly, uh, you know, hit the, hit the like buttons. Uh, and, uh, if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button as well. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for the, for the background. So how did you first really learn about real estate syndication since you'd been all across the industry, buying your own rental properties, working in the mortgage space? What is it that kind of got you onto syndications in the first place? Yeah, so I was actively going to meetup groups, uh, you know, and uh, was in New York City. So I was actively networking and uh, I ran across um, a guy who had, had kind of a similar story to me. He'd been dealing with single families. Um, you know, I had uh, gotten started in Rochester, New York. You know, he was uh, from Long Island, but he had been mostly in, investing in, in you know, Cleveland, Ohio. You know, very similar, like trying to go to these cash flowing markets. And he built up a you know a single and duplex portfolio himself, and and realized a lot of the same things I realized that it's very difficult to scale. The um, the expenses can can grow dramatically. 
Um, you know, you have one issue that needs a plumber, you know, it may cost a hundred or 200 bucks just to get the plumber to go out. And you're, you know, you could eat up your profitable cash flow pretty, pretty quickly if there's just minor maintenance issues, because, you know, they've got to go to the property, then they may have to go to Home Depot and then go back and all of a sudden sure. they're spending four or eight hours of, of labor to, uh, for a repair that, uh, you know, theoretically shouldn't cost that much to do. So he, he had moved into the syndication space and was buying, um, you know, it started as 20 or 30 unit buildings. And eventually, you know, he had gotten to the point where he was doing hundred plus unit buildings. And, uh, once you're over a hundred units, uh, there's a real economy of scale. Um, it's almost institutional quality. There are some larger funds or family offices that will buy. And usually at that stage, you have on-site maintenance. It's really like owning a business or a company, not, not being, a, not just being a landlord. So, you know, because we right. had the shared story. Um, you know, identified with that. I was following along for, um, you know, for a period of time as well. And then, you know, eventually as I had other uh, cash coming in from, you know, from my other businesses, I started investing passively with, uh, with him and his firm. Okay. No, that makes sense. And I guess it's probably pretty good when you get into the industry to start doing these kinds of deals with people that you know, that you trust, that you followed for a little bit. Can you say a little bit more, I guess, about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, this, these are, these are generally not publicly available deals with some of the, the rule changes. You're certainly, you know, we're allowed to at least talk about them on Facebook before, <laughs> before the, the, the laws change, it was really, you know, what I call a true like country club deal. You really had to know somebody and have an in. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, for me, I was exploring, I was certainly researching and, and, and just doing other research online, but, uh, you know, I had the benefit of, you know, meeting someone in person, getting to know him at, uh, you know, at these real estate events. And, uh, and uh, we actually knew some mutual investors as well. So, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, other investors I know had successfully already invested uh, with him. And then, you know, I just got to understand the projects and the, you know, the, the mindset around them. And, and it's still very much what the JKM is. One of the key focuses of JKM today is the value add. Right. You know, he was buying tired buildings that were, um, you know, clean and you know relatively occupied like 90 percent occupancy just like a, a standard nice safe clean building but it was a little bit old and tired and when the prior right. ownership is owned something for five or ten years eventually they just start maybe maybe they repaint when a tenant moves out but they're not doing you know a significant amount of, of work however there's a there's a strong demand for these middle class apartments that are new and clean and renovated so uh, by putting new kitchens and baths in, uh, there's a strong demand for for rent, and rent can increase sometimes a few hundred dollars a month, which adds major, uh, you know, profitability to the deal. Um, raising by three hundred dollars yeah. a month can raise the value of the building by you know, sixty to eighty thousand dollars just by doing five to ten thousand dollars of, uh, of of uh, of renovation. So, um, you know, yeah. I understood the math, I understood the concept. It's it wasn't rocket science, and um, you know, it really, you know, doesn't didn't require gambling on the real estate market and appreciation. The appreciation was being forced. So um, mm-hmm. I identified with 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 all of that, and uh, and also it was a full uh, you know full private placement, yeah, you know, similar to ours. It's not like it was a a willy nilly joint venture with like a one page agreement. It was um, you know a hundred pages of disclosures. It was you know, a full operating agreement, subscription agreement, uh, you know, knowing that they were at that level and sophisticated enough to have, you know, and, and spend the money because it costs 
ten, fifteen thousand dollars to put the paperwork together. So, sure, um, just knowing that the deal was that legitimate, even though yeah. they listed a million risk factors, um, <laughs> all the ways th- things could go wrong. In a way, it actually made me more confident, just because I knew that you know the time and the energy was spent to consult with legal to you know do everything in a in a compliant way to legally raise the money. And uh, right. you know, in fact, it, it didn't scare me off at all. It, it actually made me more comfortable with the deal that it was, uh, you know, fully legitimate. Right. Well, and between the costs that come with, you know, setting up this kind of a deal and those incremental, uh, you know, bits of rent growth that you're mentioning, that kind of thing really seems to only work well at scale. And that's, uh, I think, you know, something pretty important that I just picked up on uh, listening to you say it. So, this this first deal that you did, uh, what what part of the country was it in? So it was in the southeast. It was actually um, you know on the uh, outskirts of Savannah, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, Charleston, okay. Charleston. I mixed Charleston and Savannah because we're in a Savannah, Georgia deal too. Um, so, yeah, we're probably um, doing those right around the same time. Yeah, yeah, similar cities actually uh, as well. So you know, this was a you know, what we we call a workforce housing deal. So it was you know within ten minutes of downtown Charleston. So um, downtown Charleston itself is, you know, pretty expensive. And, right. uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, if you're, uh, you know, a bartender or a waiter or, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, have an average job, it's it's difficult to afford living right downtown, but it was within yeah. you know, 10 minutes of the city. So a lot of the workers you might work downtown in the service industry, that was a main, um, you know, one of the, the main hubs. They, they, they got a lot mm-hmm. of tenants that that wanted to be close to the city, wanted a quick commute, but couldn't afford to live there. Sure. And, uh, yeah, and this was uh, this was purchased before, you know, 2016, 2017. So it was well before COVID, well before, you know, all of the interest rates up and down. So it was, uh, I think it was- you know, Before most people knew what syndications were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, and it ended up close to a five-year hold. We actually, you know, held it through COVID. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, COVID was- uh, you know, at first was a little bit scary, but, uh, you know, overall, as we saw, most of the, the deals performed pretty well uh, during mm-hmm. COVID, especially once the uh, assistance came in and uh, there was a fair amount of programs for uh, for rent. I mean, this one probably uh, had a little bit harder hit than others because there were, were a fair amount of, of tenants in the service industry. But, you know, collections never really dips uh, below the, you know, 80, 80, 85 percent range. And then uh, okay. know, when the assistance came in. Um, I think overall collections ended up 90% plus. Um, and then fortunately, um, in the big run up in 2021, um, you know, we were, you know, approaching the five year, uh, uh, five year hold, um, you know, which, you know, these, these deals can range from three to 10. Um, but okay. there was a, there was a big run up in prices and, uh, and this actually sold, um, probably pretty close to the peak. Um, you know, in 2021 when, when rates were record low and everyone was, uh, you know, the real estate prices and like piling into the space. Uh, yeah. 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 So it really worked out, uh, you know, to be, to be a great, uh, you know, a great first deal. Right. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. And, uh, since you mentioned, you know, Savannah, Charleston, it sounds like most of the first year that you were doing these passive syndications, it was it pretty much all focused on multifamily, pretty similar size, concept, thesis? Yeah, that was the main one because that was the, you know, I'd been in, you know, I'd been in the rental business for, for a long time. So I really knew it. Um, so, you know, the, the first few deals were, 
were in that asset class, but I, I was also continuing to research uh, the other uh, core asset classes, including you know, self-storage, uh, mobile home parks, um, as well as student senior housing. Um, I did do a deal. Um, actually, my, my second allocation was actually to you know, a group who I knew. I met them at a conference, but it was a conference uh, sponsored by a group I'd done a ton of business with on the mortgage side. Um, okay. And uh, they actually had a, an allocation, you know, partially self-storage, partially mobile home parks. And uh, Interesting combination. Yeah. And that, and that was actually more of a fund of funds. And it's, you know, really one of the, one of the groups that inspired the way we structured JCAM was, uh, you know, what was that, was that group uh, that, uh, that I invested uh, and actually um, I did that personally because that was well before the fund, but yeah, I'm still, I still get a check every, I get a deposit mm-hmm. every month on that, on that deal as well. And uh, sure. more importantly, got to learn, got to dive into their reports um, review their monthly reports, review just what their mindset was when they're, what they were allocated to. And, um, you know, got to see the performance firsthand. Um, okay. there, there's no substitute for, you know, I certainly don't advocate people just willy nilly jump right in, but there's really no substitute for putting where your money, where your mouth is and, and investing. And, right. you know, I'm not against education, but I, I, you know, over the years I'd seen so many people that spend, so much money on say like a boot camp or a mentorship program. And, you know, depending on your personality type, sometimes you could learn more by taking that money and actually doing a deal than, you know, just writing a large check and, and you right. know, sitting in another class and getting analysis paralysis. So there, there's pros and cons of both. But for me, um, given where I was, I was in New York paying the top tax rate as well. So for me, it was a way to get tax deferred income. Uh, because okay. all of these losses showed losses on paper. So it was like, hey, I'm going to get some cash. I'm going to get positive cash flow, a good tax write-off, and I could learn at the same time. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And so when you're looking at these initial deals, you mentioned looking for tax benefits, workforce housing, uh, different markets throughout the U.S. Can you say a little bit more about, I guess, what you were looking into this first year when it was, when you were really choosing deals and kind of establishing your thesis and establishing the thesis at JCAM? Yeah, so it was certainly um, the sponsor came first. It was you know, did I did I trust them? Did I was I was I confident they weren't going to run away with my money? Was I confident <laughs> they knew what they were, what they were doing? And uh, and they both coincidentally were you know groups that had a, a similar mindset. You know, the first group, you know, we, we both had done single family. We had shared experiences. Um, the other group, um, you know, similarly had been around. Uh, since well before 2008, so they'd seen some cycles. They've seen, they've seen when things go bad, and that mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things that's extremely important to me too. Is uh, you know, just what happened to them during the financial crisis, or, or and or that they're just not that they don't have that irrational exuberance that that real estate's just going to go up, and uh, that they're prepared to meet some challenges. And uh, you know, that's that's been super valuable. We can get into that later, but uh, you know, with the rise in interest rates, uh, you know, there, there's been some. Uh, you know, some, some great navigation of that with, uh, with some of our key partners that are, were well equipped to, uh, um, still make things work even with interest rates going up. So mm-hmm. it was really, you know, first the sponsor and then, you know, did the deal make sense? Um, you know, we, we covered the value add, um, that's, that's still, that was, and still is a, is a, is a big part of it for me is, you know, if the business plan is to increase rents through innovation, do I believe in those numbers? And when we when we set up our call to review it, 
um, you know, I'd play devil's advocate and just and, and really make sure they knew they, they, you know, they could sell it to me. Yeah, we would talk about the other neighboring complexes. I would, you know, go on Google and look at the three apartment complexes nearby and make sure they mm-hmm. were aware. And I could say, well, how come this place has rents at a, you know, if you're going to get 1300 in rent, why is the place across the street at 1200 And the good right. answer was I toured that personally as like a secret shopper. And <laughs> those units are not renovated or they're not the same class. Uh, they're not the same, you know, they're, they're smaller. So um, those were the good right. To me, to show that they they absolutely knew that that area and neighborhood like the back of their hand, they'd really done their diligence. Yeah, well, that that I guess allowed you then to make these investments from New York, from Puerto Rico, recently from Buenos Aires, uh, you know, from from all over the world. As long as you had these trusted boots on the ground who knew their markets and could go in and find you know the best deals and make sure that everything, like you said, made sense for the passive investor like yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, it, it's once you're in the deals and you've done, you're really doing your work up front. So, you know, I've often, I've used the term active passive investing and that, that's what we're doing. I was in Buenos Aires and I immediately went to uh, Orlando for uh, a conference that had had over 500 people there uh, as a boot camp by uh, Rod Cleef. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of people, you know, there was a mixture of people just trying to learn and get into the business, but there was a core group of the veterans that were there that have you know been there for many years been in many deals and you know fortunately i know a few people already from some of the other other groups i'm in so was really able to to mastermind with like 20 or 30 really experienced uh operators and you know some of which we'd invested with but others that we're getting to know so um and and we will you know stay in touch with them when there's future opportunities to come together so this is where we're mm-hmm. getting the, the market insight as well of uh yeah, some of the challenges because there are, you know, there are certainly some groups feeling some challenges right now as well. So that's where all the work uh, work is up front, so that when a when a deal happens, it's it's with you know it's with a group that we know very well. We know their track record, we know their capabilities, we know you know their their mindset and how they think about opportunities. And uh, yeah, when we know that their their ability to execute once uh, once things close, because. Uh, you know, the, the reason I want to be in this space is there is that size and scale that you're not dealing with all the all the bad T's, no tenants, no toilets. You know, I'm not getting that 2 a.m. phone call uh, because of, of an issue, because I know we've got a team that's uh, has boots on the ground that is, you know, well, better prepared to do than I would. Right. Well, and you're also like you mentioned earlier, you weren't out having to make calls uh, to collect rent during the start of COVID. You're still you know collecting your check. Would you say that so far? Uh, with most of the syndications, just based on your experience as an actual landlord yourself, have the returns differed a lot that you know you saw for your own cash flow as uh, as a landlord versus syndications? Have they been pretty similar? What does that look like? Um, they've been um, even with some of the COVID challenges. I'd say they've been more consistent. Um, mm-hmm. When I had a single family portfolio, um, you know, one month it might be great, and then the next month, you know, we have three vacancies and a couple unexpected repairs and we're cash flow negative oh, wow. for a month. Um, so, you know, take out the, you know, the, the properties that, that, uh, you know, the few that had variable rate debt where, you know, the, it was supposed to be a short term hold and, and maybe you're going to have to transition into a longer term hold where, you know, with, uh, with fixed rate debt, um, the cash flows have been very consistent. You know, the expenses, when you have a hundred or 200 units, things average out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have a full-time maintenance person, so you know rarely do you need to actually 
have some repair that's going to cost tens of thousands that's unexpected. It's usually, you know, a clogged sink, a toilet, a, a fixture, a fixing yeah. a light. Um, and, and also when there's a value add, a lot of the renovation and the capital improvements are budgeted up front too. Going into this, it's like you, you kind of know what the big expenses are and you have them reserved up front. You know, maybe it's a hundred thousand for paving a parking lot. It's uh, you know, you're going to do, you know, you're going to redo the, the the barbecue grill area, you know, do some tenant improvements to improve the lifestyle, fix the roofs. Those are all budgeted for ahead of time. So there's a lot less mm-hmm. surprises because it's actually required by the lenders as well. At, at this size and scale, you know, you're going in and there's there's so many professional eyes on it. You need the professional inspection. You need the bank. The bank is going to want to have a list of the capital improvements. They want to know that you have the money for them. Um, it's ahead of time. And and often it's built into the bridge loan as well, where the bank will actually increase the amount they lend to you similar to like a hard money loan. Um, but you know, you do your repairs and then they'll actually reimburse you and then, you know, raise the balance of the loan for it. So there's a lot less surprises. Um, yeah. With that said, uh, you know, with interest rates rising, there are, there are some groups, and I, I met a number of them at the conference that, you know, are not making distributions currently because the the additional interest rates um, are really eating up what would have been the cash distributions. But most of most of the deals that are heavy value add, most of the money was made on the back end. It was not like you were getting right. 10, 15 percent cash on cash from the the monthly rents. It's really often four, five, six, seven, eight percent at most from the rents, and then a bulk of the return, you know, and often, you know, the goal is 15 to 20 percent annualized on on the sale. A bulk of it comes from the sale. So mm-hmm. so on that side of things, obviously there's been a little movement, but on the actual performance of rent collection expenses, it's it's much more consistent. Right. No, and it makes sense, especially when you're talking again to the theme of scale, diversification. I guess that makes sense as to why you started the diversified fund as well, right? So that you could uh, even spread that risk out a little bit more across more operators, more asset classes, more geographies, and uh, and scale the business that way. Absolutely, and that has smoothed out cash flow as well. So you know, our first fund is in thirty different uh, allocations, and of those, there's a number of them that have low interest rate, fixed rate debt. They pay like clockwork. And we have some other deals that were really more about, you know, the renovation and sale that weren't really meant to pay much cash the first year or two. And then we have some, you know, a few ground up construction deals. And I know a lot of individual investors that would love to, you know, make the highest return possible, but just can't go three years without a single payment just to get one lump sum at the end. So we're able to, to blend those two together and we still have some cash flow coming in. So we distribute quarterly and, um, at the same time, we have some deals that have a lot of upside on the back end that, uh, you know, at this point are pushing, you know, we're, we're, we're in year three of the funds. So we have some of these deals are, you know, getting closer to coming to fruition with, a, you know, a large cash out from a profitable sale. Right. So that's that's how you've really been able to balance the portfolio, I guess, when you're looking through each individual deal, making these decisions on a regular basis. Right. It's not like you're just doing one syndication a year two a year, like a lot of uh, individual investors might be able to. You can choose deals for cash flow, for appreciation, for tax benefits, of course, combine it all. So, Jack, would you say if you had one, I guess, piece of advice for someone who is maybe a little bit newer to investing in syndications, maybe not a professional in the industry, is there one major piece of advice that, I guess, sticks out to you more than anything when looking, I guess, back to your first year and also to to where you are now almost 10 years later? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you you got to take action in 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 some way. And you know, listening to this, uh, if you're stumbling across it, is is, is the you know is is a start. Um, there's tons of content out there right now. We put out content. There's various podcasts. There's you know the Bigger Pockets forums. There's various Facebook group. There's so much content to, to digest. You just gotta um, you gotta start and 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 just dive in. Um, and then certainly reach out. Um, you know, we have both uh, our funds, but we also have the Alternative Investor Mastermind, this podcast. And I do look at it as an actual mastermind, uh, we're growing our, our Facebook group as well. And, uh, you know, there's no one central place to get information, um, you know, especially everyone's situation is a little different. Uh, you know, it depends on if you have a W-2, are you looking to get out of your W-2? Or are you looking to just build for retirement? And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great conversations that we've had with investors just, uh, you know, informally just discussing, you know, their situation, their strategy, how we may be able to help, how we may be able to um, refer uh, other options that uh, may be able to uh, help them as well, whether it's rolling over a retirement account into self-directed, um, you know, or other, you know, other strategies that may be tax efficient for them. Uh, just things that I've looked into personally that I'm not certainly not a, a, an a official financial advisor, but, you know, I've lived it. I live this business. So I love sharing information. So, um, yeah, just, just dive in and you're going to find like-minded people. Um, if you have the ability to go to a live event too, that's even better because meeting someone else who was in your spot two years ago, that's successfully investing um is is often you know the most confidence inspiring thing you can you could have that hey they're doing it they're doing it successful they've you know this is what this is how it's impacted their life um you know they can grow their portfolio without worrying about the stock market dropping 20 30 percent like it did last year sure so uh yeah you just gotta just gotta take action you gotta um you know get it get into the club if you will because it's sort of a sort of a private club of those that are aware of of all these options outside the traditional financial system. Right. Take action, work with experts and uh, really just go from there and learn along the way. And it makes a lot of sense. And I I see, of course, why you're in the space. It seems like it's been uh, quite successful. So Jack, that, that really answers uh, my questions. I, I appreciate this. I've learned a lot. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a great chat. And um, you know, I think what we're going to try to do these more often um, so, uh, for, for those listening, please, uh, hit the like button, um, hit the subscribe button, uh, where I think we're on both, uh, LinkedIn and Facebook currently. So, um, send us a friend request, follow us, uh, and let us know what questions you have and we, we can uh, perhaps address them, uh, on a future episode. Also check out the alternative investor mastermind on, uh, on Spotify, Apple, um, or your podcast platform of choice, uh, as well as YouTube. So. Um, thanks for uh, listening and uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. That's all for this episode of Alternative Investor Mastermind. Now that you know the many alternative opportunities out there all up for the taking, you can finally become ultra-connected and ultra-wealthy. Get more valuable advice from the experts by subscribing to the show at alternativeinvestormastermind.com. Become a winner in the world of passive investing today in alternative investment strategies. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.